I invite you to turn with me to uh, Luke's Gospel. We'll be walking through the Gospel passage that was just read for us, chapter 7, uh, the first 10 verses. As we are navigating uh, Luke's Gospel over the next handful of weeks together through Easter season, uh, we turn this morning to Jesus' healing of the servant of a centurion. Now, prior to this healing, this miracle, which happens in Jesus' northern base of Capernaum. Um, Jesus has been teaching the, the Sermon on the Mount. It happens on the, the plain here in Luke's telling of it. But that passage or that sermon ends with a call to discern uh, teachers, to discern leaders. And it ends with a call for the hearers of that word to build their lives upon the rock who is Jesus Christ. So following that message, what Luke is doing now by the next couple of miracles, he's now helping us to discern who this teacher is, just as the Sermon in the Mount was given to him. Who is this Jesus? And Luke uses as his source to help us understand who Jesus is, he uses a military leader whose great faith astonishes Jesus. We're going to learn from the faith of this centurion this morning. But as we turn that way, would you join me with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, which is living and active. As we come to your word now, open our ears, soften our hearts, open our eyes, reveal yourself to us that we might behold Christ and give glory to him. As you soften our hearts, help us to be conformed into the image of your dear Son, that as we depart this place, we would serve you gladly all of our days. Bless us in the hearing of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Big picture for Luke's gospel is that Luke presents Jesus as a prophet, as God's true and final prophet. Were we to read the first 17 verses of this chapter, we would see two miracles, and those miracles would echo miracles of prophets in the Old Testament. Elisha, the passage that was read for us from the Old Testament, is the healing of a, a military general in the, much the same way that this centurion servant is healed. That's from Elisha's ministry. And then after this passage, we have the raising of a widow's son, and that happened in both Elijah and Elisha. So as we come to Luke's gospel, I want us to be able to hear echoes of Elijah and Elisha in the ministry and the life of Jesus. Because what follows after that is John the Baptist, who is like the final prophet of the old covenant, the final pointer to Jesus. And he's even wondering, is this Jesus? Are you the one? Are you the one who fulfills the ministry of Elijah and Elisha and all of the prophets of old? Are you God's final prophet, the Messiah? Luke takes pains to show that, yes, Jesus is this final and true prophet. And he writes in such a way that echoes Jesus' phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Chapter 7, verse 1. After he had finished all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. For over a chapter now, Jesus' lips have been testifying to who he is and the work he's come to accomplish, and now his life will testify to the person that he is. Jesus had gained a reputation as a powerful preacher in the region of Galilee, which is where we're at now in Capernaum. The words of Jesus bore great authority, and he's speaking as God's mouthpiece. 
But now for a while, he puts down his teaching robes, and his life bears witness to his person. His lips now speak a louder word in his life. Verses 2 and 3, now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. Now, Jesus' reputation as a healer apparently is getting out as well. The centurion hears of Jesus' power and willingness to heal and to exercise demons. That reputation is spread far and wide in the region of Galilee, maybe roughly 60, 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And so this centurion, this military leader, he seeks out Jesus for the healing of his servant who seems at the point of death. Now, a centurion is a military commander or leader, and he's governing or he's ruling 100 other soldiers, hence the name centurion, right? He's overseeing 100 other troops. Now, these troops and this centurion, they're certainly accountable to higher ranks above them, not necessarily in Capernaum, but they do as they're bid by their higher ups, right? Uh, but they also have the ability to discern the needs in the local community. Though their authority figures are stationed miles away, they say a word, and those in the local community will do what their bidding is. And as they discern their own work that needs to be done, they obey the, the commands of their superiors, but they also discern what needs to be done in the moment. Now, do you ever stop to ask why it is that Luke puts this miracle here, this healing here? As we saw last week, Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy from Isaiah 61 where he will uh, bind up the brokenhearted, he will open up the eyes of the blind, he will free the oppressed, and he has come to heal. And we see Jesus doing that through verse chapters uh, 4 through 9 here in abundance. But what is it about the, the healing of this centurion's servant? Well, the healing, it does validate Jesus' claim when he says, uh, after quoting Isaiah, he says, uh, today this has been fulfilled in your midst. As Jesus restores uh, the creation, it's a fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah. So whenever he heals, it's a validation that, yes, Jesus is who he claims to be, the Messiah, the one sent as promised from Isaiah's prophecy. But we also have a contrast throughout Luke's gospel of Jesus and worldly leaders. The story of his birth is told with uh, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, Pontius Pilate, these were the rulers in that region of the day, and you have a child born into this. Jesus comes in space and time amongst the most powerful of rulers. And we know Jesus comes as a king, ushering in his kingdom as king of kings, lord of lords, ushering in the kingdom of kingdoms. So I want us to see, even here with the centurion, there's a contrast about how Jesus rules and how the world tends to govern or rule. It also indicates with this military figure that Jesus comes as a military figure as well. He is a warrior king who loves his kingdom subjects and his kingdom warriors. As the world wages war against God and his anointed, his son is sent as a warrior. And the way that he fights is to give himself, to give his life as a ransom for many. 
I think it's important to recognize that Jesus comes as a warrior, as a king warrior. Surely Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for the life of the world, but is he not also described as the Lion of Judah? Do we not need one who will wage war against evil? Do we not need one who will seek justice in condemning the wicked to check their destructive devices? Now, he who commands turn the other cheek, he doesn't sit idly by nor forsake the sword. Now, this is perhaps not the main point of this story here, but it bears emphasizing, I think. Why is this healing of a military leader's servant here? In some ways, it reminds us that Jesus is the Lion of Judah, and the Lion of Judah roars as God's prophet who brings healing in the face of death and destruction. Having gone through what the centurion perceived as the proper channels, he sends Jewish elders to go find Jesus. Verse 4, And when these elders, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, it's not uncommon for a centurion with his 100 troops to assist the local community. In some ways, it reminds me maybe of the National Guard stepping in in the case of tragedy. Um, But it is uncommon maybe for these powerful soldiers and somebody like a centurion to have affection or to love the local people rather than look down on them. But there is such a relationship that we see in just a small bit here where these Jewish leaders, elders, love this centurion. And apparently, this centurion has affection or fondness for these people. He's helped them, as they say, build their synagogue or build their church. And so the elders reason with Jesus, I mean, for goodness sakes, if anybody deserves your healing work, it is this centurion. Heal his servant, for he is worthy of your grace. If ever a man was worthy of mercy and grace, it is the centurion. It is this guy. But the centurion, after sending the elders uh, of the Jews and as the Jesus and the elders of the Jews come closer to the the home of the centurion, the centurion sends another delegation with a contrasting message. Verse 6, Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man under authority. So the, the point here is about authority, right? Such confidence by the centurion that with just a word, Jesus can heal his beloved servant. It does remind you of Elisha. Like he never, Naaman comes down to, to, to Israel, but Elisha never meets him, never lays hands or eyes upon this servant, and Naaman is really put off. But here, Jesus doesn't lay eyes on the centurion's servant, doesn't meet the centurion. But the centurion is not put off. Rather, he understands that this one whom he's calling upon has authority, at whose very word healing can take place. I think there's something really simple about how this military man carries himself and and reasons out his approach to Jesus. And I think it's really kind of beautiful. He just simply says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. I I didn't even presume to, to come to you. I mean, who is worthy to access the presence of God? Who deserves his healing touch? I mean, who can say? But there is in this 
centurion a posture of, of humility, a humility that looks to Jesus as one with authority. And what has God authority over? Authority over sickness, authority over disease, authority even over death. One who is powerful enough that things will just happen as he utters a word. As a centurion sends his delegation, it's a form of prayer, isn't it? He's pleading again for the life of his servant, heal. But there's also this humble trust in Jesus' ability to answer that request. He knows Jesus can, and he pleads with him to do so. It's a good definition of prayer, really, isn't it? Just to, to plead and then to trust. To trust Jesus in a conversation like this. To plead with him for big things, for life, for healing, for wholeness. And to believe that he has come to restore to renew, and all that restoration and that newness happens in, in the details of our hurried and harried lives, to trust that at his word, sickness or demons will flee, that winds and waves will obey, and to know that our risen and ascended king, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, our risen king lives to intercede on our behalf. His word is bending the ear of his Father his breath winding forth, his spirit. Prayer is faith in action, and the centurion's actions reveal a great faith. Verse 8 and 9. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. My servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him. And he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those returned been sent to the house, uh, they found the servant was well. This is the climax of the story, isn't it? Faith in Jesus Christ from the lips of an outsider. The healing is vital to the story, of course. Obviously, it tells us who God is, who Jesus is. God's prophet is creating new worlds with his word. That's what God's prophets do. Jesus uh, Jesus' word creates a new and restored humanity. Jesus' word ushers in his new kingdom and his way in which the kingdom works. And that's what he's speaking of in chapter 6. If you go back and read his Sermon on the Plain, Sermon on the Mount there, he's talking about the way of his kingdom. But now he's showing that that way of his kingdom that he's teaching about leads to restoration, to healing, to wholeness. And we have here a servant one in humble and lowly estate who is healed, and that at the word of God's prophet. Jesus is astounded here, isn't he? Usually Jesus is the one who's doing the surprising, but here Jesus marvels, and his statement is both validation and its rebuke. He says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now, that's a rebuke to some there, isn't it? It's a rebuke because Jesus has come to his, his own. He was born an Israelite. He was inhabiting old covenant people and ritual. God's very word was given at Mount Sinai. has now come in the flesh. But remember, even those in his own town, hometown, they wanted to run him off and to kill him. They refused to bow a knee to God's sent son. It's a stinging rebuke. Not even in Israel have I found such faith. Will you not believe even though this one outside of Israel 
believes. The faith of this centurion is significant because he's outside of Israel's story, but Jesus is bringing him in, the story of God's redemption throughout history, and he's bringing in the nations. This statement by Jesus is also validation. Never seen such faith, he says. Think about what this centurion knows about Jesus. He probably could not describe the Trinity at even the basic level in which our own children in the church could describe it, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm guessing the centurion probably could not do that. He did not understand that Jesus is fully God and and fully man. I mean, how could he? He was probably familiar with the prayer and with various rituals of faith. But he may not have understood that Jesus is the lamb who was slain for our sin. And yet, he looked to Jesus for healing, for salvation. He prayed for deliverance from evil, and he firmly expected Jesus to accomplish that which was asked of him. And he didn't even grow up with the Bible stories that most of the Jews did. And Jesus' point is, you know all about who this Messiah is to be, and now that he's come in your midst, you don't believe. But this outsider is being brought in to God's story of redemption, validating his faith rebuking those who should believe. As with the prophet of old, people are being judged by how they treat God's prophets. To reject God's prophet is to reject God's word, is to reject God. To align oneself with God's prophet is to hide oneself in God. The centurion exhibits a mature, childlike faith. And Jesus is ushering in his kingdom his renewal of life in the midst of this Gentile military leader. The centurion prays, he trusts, in pleading, he believes. Now, how many have sought Jesus with such request as the centurions here? Right? But oftentimes that's met with silence. If you were to rewrite the story, a lot of times our prayers could be like, pleading with Jesus, sending the elders to delegate with him, to talk with him, Jesus hears, sending a second delegation, and he hears, and then maybe it just seems like he just walks on by. And that's often how prayer can feel, and I'm afraid this sermon does not alleviate the pain and the sorrow of disappointment in God when he doesn't heal, when he doesn't bring back the wayward child, when he doesn't provide for what we believe we need. But perhaps the people in our story will help point the way in confidence and trust. When Jesus earlier spoke of the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, his point was that in Israel at the time, they were not faithful to God. And so God was going to the nations, that his grace was always to extend out into the world. The miracles done in the nations were not being done in Israel because they remained unfaithful. It was a stinging rebuke for those in Israel. And many of them were still faithful. Many did not believe God's prophet, but many did believe God's prophet, did follow Elijah, did follow Elisha, did follow Jesus. God is working outside of his promised people, his chosen people at that time of Israel. And he will continue to work in Israel and throughout the nations. But how many faithful in Israel at the time were still praying for healing, relief from famine, and they were met with silence? 
And yet the call for God for these people was to continue to listen, to heed the word of God's prophet, to follow his word, to submit to his authority. And that's the story of Jesus come in the flesh. We who seek to follow Jesus, we continue to pray, often in the face of silence. And that continued prayer is a continued act of great faith, seeking Jesus when all seems lost. And we wonder, even doubt, that our prayers will make a difference. For the people witnessing the healing of the centurion here, Jesus holds out the faith of the centurion in all of its simplicity, in all of its abundance of faith, a faith to be emulated. It's a confidence that Jesus does have all authority over all of creation, whether demon or disease, whether sickness or sin. At his word, all things were created, and at his word will all things be made right, will all things be renewed, restored, and reconciled to God through him. Jesus hears and receives those who call upon him, those who know that, like the centurion, we are not worthy, we are in fact needy, we are weak, we are unable, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so we come day in and day out to the one who hears, to the one who heals, and with confidence in his authority, which is shrouded in love and mercy, we continue to seek his face for the glory of his name, for the good of his people, and for the life of the world. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful, and we pray now that you would bless us in the hearing of your word. And in that blessing, would we then depart this place to be a blessing to those around us. Help us to be a light to your kingdom, of your grace, and of your gospel, that others might see and give glory to you. Strengthen us and bless us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.